1: In the world, and it is worth fighting for. It is worth
2: bleeding for. it takes it, it's worth dying for. For the greatest country that this world has ever seen. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is a special bonus episode. You guys have heard me talk about this meat company, White Oak Pastures, and I've learned that I can only talk to you about it so long. This is Company has such a unique story, such a unique, just, I mean, good American, wholesome. These are the people that you should be supporting, you should be buying your meat from. Not just because we're friends. This is, this is a story that you need to hear. So I figured what better way to do that than to bring the man behind it uh, right here. So, Mr. Will, are you with us, sir?
1: Yes, sir, I am, and thank you for having me today.
2: Absolutely, sir. Yes, so sir i just want people to hear the story of your amazing company everything that you're doing uh because it's unlike anybody else i know joe rogan has has talked to you guys about it and all these other people uh and and we just want to continue to get this message heard by as many people as possible so just tell us the story about this amazing company that you have
1: well uh, thank you and i'm uh I'm I'm very pleased to do that. I enjoy talking about about our business here. So White Oak Pastures is our family's farm in southwest Georgia. My grandfather founded the farm in 1866 and ran it all his life, followed by his son, my grandfather, who ran the farm all his life, followed by my dad, followed by me, and I have two adult married daughters who have five children on the farm. The children of the sixth generation on the farm. And wow, we're very proud of that. But you know that's really not a reason for people to do business with us. It's it's a reason for us to keep doing what we're doing. I, well, I, I just like to tell you that, uh, the story a little bit now. That that's the best way I can uh, go for show it. You the that's why we're here. So. So my great-grandfather and grandfather ran this farm the way people ran farms prior to World War II. There was a lot of focus on the land, the animals, and the, the, the local rural community, in our case, Bluffton, Georgia. <clears throat> my dad was born in 1920, and he came home to run the farm post-World War II, and that was the, that was the era, that post-World War II era. That, that, that his generation and mine really changed agriculture, you know, industrialized, centralized, and commoditized agriculture. And it was, it was highly effective in terms of making the production cheap. There were a lot of unintended consequences that went with it. They fell, and the, the unintended consequences fell on the land, the animals, and the community. My dad ran the farm all of his career uh, successfully. He was, he was financially uh, profitable. We weren't rich people, but he, he, it, was a, it was a profitable family farm. Uh, I went to the University of Georgia, graduated in 1976. I majored in agriculture. I came home and ran the farm very industrially, just like my dad did. And I ran it that way for 20 years. And I was profitable for 20 years. I went back and looked. I paid taxes every single year. It was a profitable operation. We weren't rich, but we lived very comfortably. Right. In the mid-90s, for some personal reasons, I started changing the farm. Uh, I We can talk about it a long time, but I had become discontent with the excesses of that industrial commodity industry that i was part of uh, mm. for my career and most of my dad's career we ran it as a mon- industrial monocultural cattle operation wow okay a lot a lot of uh, a lot of antibiotics a lot of steroids a lot of uh, uh chemical fertilizer a lot of pesticides a lot of all the technologies that i now believe have a great downside <clears throat> but i used them successfully for 20 years hmm. in the mid 90s i'd become uh for, for several reasons less than happy with that production system and i started moving away from it in the mid 90s is before the organic farm movement that we is, per, is fairly pervasive today I mean, right there it, it wasn't much of it going on especially on the animal agriculture side <clears throat> but i i went that way Gave up all those tools and really enjoyed uh, enjoyed farming more. I made less money, but I, I enjoyed it more.
2: Yeah, doing the right thing always leads to less money. Sometimes I found.
1: You, you know, it's just how that works. Yep, it's just how it's just how it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, are you tired
2: of buying China meat? Are you tired of buying fake America Pro Ranch? meat. Well, so am I. That's why I only buy my steaks and my meat and my pork loins and everything and even my bacon from white oak pastures. The Harris family prayer has always been we pray for plenty of good hard work to do and the strength to do it. I mean, come on. How can you not buy from a family like that? If there was ever a time to know your farmer, it is now. There's never been more focus on the supply chain than there is right now so when deciding who you want to support we hope that you'll choose white oak pastures cowboys and butchers working together on a 5,000 acre six generation family farm regenerating our land and producing food in a radically traditional way white oak pastures is a six generation 156 year old family farm in bluffton georgia they take pride in farming practices that focus on the regenerative land management, humane animal husbandry, and revitalizing our rural community. They know radically traditional farming creates products that are better for our land, our livestock, and our village. They are fiercely proud of their zero-waste production system that utilizes each part of the animals we pasture, raise, and hand butcher on their farm. So, stop buying China meat. Go to whiteoakpastures.com slash graham. That's whiteoakpastures.com slash Offer code Graham for twenty dollars off your first purchase of one hundred fifty dollars or more.
1: So I did it, and I liked it better. And, uh, and and I was fortunate, and we had enough equity in the business that we were able. I, I could I could do it. It wasn't financially comfortable, but I could I could do it, and I did. Right. And the uh, the uh, this rege- grass fed beef became a thing in the late 90s I, when i started moving in that direction i, I don't know that i would ever heard of grass-fed beef certainly not as a marketable commodity right. or product i started marketing grass-fed beef and in fact i sold whole foods market in public supermarket the first pound of american grass-fed beef that they sold merchandise as American grass-fed beef.
2: Wow! The first, so so your company was the first one to do that in the Whole Foods, the public market.
1: That's correct. That's correct.
2: Wow! The very and, first one. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, and, and I tell you that that was that was purely lucky timing. I mean, I didn't plan that. I didn't I didn't see it coming and change my operation to to feel that need. It just happened that way. Wow! Absolutely, but it did, and it was good we had a we had a really good run we uh, I, I wound up uh building a uh usda inspected red meat slaughter plant and a usda inspected poultry slaughter plant uh, and we diversified we uh, raised cows hogs, sheep goats rabbits poultry eggs vegetables and some other things and it was a, and, and we had a, a really good run and enjoyed it and it was and they had a, a pretty good return on investment there for a while that that changed uh, we, we, we were able to do, to do well for a while because nobody else was raising grass-fed beef in this country hmm. and we had not yet learned to import grass-fed beef from other countries which is what we do now Wow but, but you know the, the, the industry figured it out. And we reached a point that uh, we, we were not able to be profitable, uh, particularly in Whole Foods. Whole Foods, the, I say they threw us out. They said I quit doing business with them. I'm not sure what happened, but I know we went from selling them uh, 10 to 15 million dollars worth of product a year to nothing uh, in, in December 31st last year. We wow. ceased to do good. And it's okay. I mean, it, it really is okay because I had it had gone from being my most profitable customer to being a—I uh, I wasn't making money selling Whole Foods. Right. I, I wasn't, and I wasn't making money when I didn't sell Whole Foods. But it freed up my production capacity to go somewhere else. Hmm. And somewhere else we went is uh, online. That, that uh, the the pandemic. Panic that occurred a couple of years ago really opened up the direct-to-consumer online mm. opportunity for us. We we we've been in that business for a number of years, but just hadn't put much effort into it and hadn't gotten much success out of it. But uh, the pandemic changed that, so we're we're now working that as hard as we can and. and you know, I'm, I'm I'm very happy with what we do. We got it's, a, it's it's not a high return business, but it's very rewarding, and uh, we're the it, we're the largest employer in Clay County, Georgia. And Clay County, Georgia, is uh, was the poorest county in the United States of America in 2020. Wow! So it's a economically impoverished area, and it, it allows us to <clears throat> hire people. We uh, we have about 100 and Seventy employees. Wow! And the payroll's a hundred thousand dollars a week, and wow. it, it's made a diff- it's it's made a difference here. You wow! Know, we uh, when I when I started changing the farm, for me it was all about the the land and the animals.
2: Hmm. I wanted, uh, so to so sir, so real quick, you you talk about this moment where you decided to change how you were doing business, how you were managing the farm and things like that. Seems to me like you saw and you learned some things that you didn't like and things that were going on that the average American does not know that's going on into the, the raising, the slaughtering of the food that they're eating. Uh, Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? I mean, what did you see? Well, what was going on that led you to this decision to change everything?
1: I I will. And and thank you for giving me that guidance. I I, want to talk about what, your people want to hear about. So you know, I was a, a, a monocultural cattleman. We raised cattle. We fed them in confinement in a feedlot. We fed them some really unnatural feed stuffs. Uh, corn is not a natural feed stuff for a cow. Mm. It's just not. They're ruminants. They're supposed to eat forage. Uh, we uh, we I fed chicken litter in the diet. Chicken manure. Wow. Part of the deal. I went to a school at the university to learn how to incorporate chicken manure into a cow diet. Wow. Uh, so yeah. And then of course, if you do that, you got to put antibiotics in there, and the out about it's just so much wrong with it. Right. I can go on and on about the things that are wrong with the industrial food production model. I can bore you to death. I can talk all day about it, but I won't, but I will say that I, uh I just came to, to see it for what it was. you know my dad did it that way and I thought it was great. and I went to the university and they taught it and I thought it was great. And I came back and I did it for 20 years and realized it's really not that great and, and you know and I, I I take some culpability in that. You know, I was always a little heavy-handed you know if the if the label instruction said put two ccs, per hundred weight injection, I probably gave them three cc's. Mm. And if it said to put a pint per acre of the insecticide, I probably put a quart. Mm. And it allowed me to see the unintended consequences of those technologies. Mm. And I didn't like it. And so I I made the conscious decision to move away from it. The decision came one day when we loaded out a truckload of uh, 100, 500-pound calves, maybe 480, on a double-decker truck to ship to the Midwest. And the ones on top were going to be urinating and defecating on the ones on the bottom for 24 or 30 hours, whatever it takes. And it, and I'd done it a hundred times, but all of a sudden that day, it didn't seem right. Mm. And it's not. So I didn't do it anymore. And I made less money, but I liked it better. Right. And again, because we had equity in the farm and and we were pretty good at it, I was able to make that change and I was willing to make less money. And then of course, when the awareness of grass-fed beef came about, it, it was perfect timing for us coincidentally. So we made money for a while and then the imported product comes in. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but a grocer or a food service company can import grass-fed beef from 20 countries, especially Australia, New Zealand, and Uruguay, mm. and label it as American grass-fed beef. Even though the, what? the animal was born in another country, slaughtered in another country, packed in another country, But the country of origin labeling allows the companies, the beef companies, to label it as American grass-fed beef uh, because value was added in this country. It's a horribly, horribly deceptive, misleading rule that exists. So
2: what would you say is the percentage of beef that people are buying in grocery stores today that— say they're American, grass fed and whatnot, but they're not from America at all.
1: I I certainly don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was ninety percent. Wow. And I say that I say that because I I do know who's producing grass fed beef in this country. There are mm-hmm. not that many of us. Right. I mean it's it's not ten, it's it's a few hundred, but mm-hmm. I, I know and nobody's doing it very big. Right. I'm not very big and I'm big as I'm probably one of the larger ones. Right. So it's not that there's just not that much American grass-fed beef, but it's still a good bit of it sold in the stores. And I'm not saying it's not grass-fed beef. I mean, I don't know, but I do know it's not American grass-fed beef, even right. though it says probably the USA.
2: Mm, that is that is that is crazy to think about. Uh, and 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 I found myself as I've gotten older, especially. You know, before I discovered you and your, your your amazing company as well, and started educating myself, how much junk or crap, honestly, we are eating and consuming as Americans because we have no idea what's being pumped into these animals that we're eventually eating down the line, whether it be from a restaurant or a grocery store, and. Uh, you know, I think it's I think it's important for someone of your your status and your your knowledge to inform as many of us as you are. And I guess that's what's impressive to me is you're not only selling, but you're also willing to inform.
1: Well, and I and I and w I, I don't want to say that this mislabeled, I'm gonna call it mislabeled because that's what it is, beef is bad. I'm not saying it is. I don't know. I simply don't know. I know it's not what it says. It's not American grassroots oh, yeah. beef. Now, whether the other claims they make are true or not, I'm, I'm, I don't know that. I mean, I've, I've, I've not followed the chain back to Uruguay or South America or, or Australia or New Zealand or wherever it came from. I don't, I don't know that. <clears throat> but I do know that I think most people that most shoppers that pick up a product that says American grass fed beef, understandably, believe they're supporting an American grass fed beef farm.
2: Absolutely, yes.
1: They're, and they're not; they're, they're simply not. I so, do know that the imported product is cheaper than ours. You know, they can they can do it cheaper. However, however that is.
2: Yeah. Well, most of cheaper. the time, cheaper means worse <laughs> for the people that are that are consuming it. So when people are buying from you. What are they getting? So, so, so when people, and the reason I say that is I want people to know the difference here. So, knowing that there is a, you know, we'll be generous, let's just say 80%. of the meat that they're buying in grocery stores are being labeled as American grass-fed beef, but they're not from America at all. Uh, We can import this beef and this meat in general for cheaper, so cheaper oftentimes means worse. Um, That's what they're getting that they don't realize they're getting. What, What are they getting when they buy when they buy from White Oak Pastures, what 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 are they getting? What does that mean? So when it says you know grass fed American beef from White Oak Pastures, what does that mean? What are they getting?
1: Yeah, All right. that's that's a great question, and I want I'm gonna answer it a little a little different. So, okay, I wanna say this: I own White Oak Pastures. I make my living running White Oak Pastures. Our income stream is selling product from White Oak Pastures, but I am not. Trying to sell my products to people all over this country. Uh, we do. We, we ship to 48 states, UPS, if you're line, and we're, we're grateful for the business because we need it. But that's not the way I want it to be. I really want there to be regional beef, pork, lamb, egg, vegetable suppliers all over this country. Hmm. And you know, I want I want my friend uh, uh, Stuart Smith and uh, Spencer Smith in Nevada to sell the people up there. And I you know I got friends all over the country that I hope people will support. Right. And I hope the ones in the deep south will support us. Hmm. But what what so that's what I want for us farmers, for the consumer. I want the consumer to to know something about, personally, who they're buying the product from. Right. The fact is the food labeling laws are so vague, and I'm going to say probably intentionally vague, that a consumer can't look at the label and really know what they're getting. Right. You really need to know the producer. The centralized food production system that has fed us all for the last, since World War II, it allows a lot of uh, misleading things to occur between the food manufacturer and the consumer that shouldn't. Food needs to be decentralized. Food needs to be produced as much as possible in the area that which served you, you think From a from a resilience perspective, from an environmental perspective, from any perspective you want to, to look at, other than the economic uh, benefit of very large corporations, right? Food needs to be as local as possible. Hmm. So, I, yeah, you know, and I hope that I hope so. In a perfect world, all consumers would be able to go out and visit the farm they're buying their food from and, and have a relationship. That's probably re- that's, 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 that's reaching a bit. That's, that's probably not going to occur as often as I want it to. But with social media and other communications, people know, people can easily know a lot about who they're buying their food from without actually going to visit the farm.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory shopify pos has everything you need to sell in person go to shopify.com slash system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today that's shopify.com slash system
2: yeah absolutely social media has changed it a bit to where uh Uh, people can go on and that's what they expect to see they expect to look on their phones they're like okay this is who i'm buying from this is what it looks like oh that looks like a nice place uh but but and and i really like the way you phrase that and then again i would like i would like for us to touch back on you know when when they get that package from white oak pastures they can rest assured that you know this happened and this took place and this is where the meat came from. But I do like what you said. And I think that it shows your heart in this a little bit too, which is very refreshing to me. Uh, You want, you don't want to be the biggest, the biggest in the world or the biggest in the country. You, You want to take it back more to a regionalized type of, you know, ranchers and farm that where people know, or at least have a general idea. Oh, this came from these guys, or this came from these guys, and I know where this, where I know this is from, and I know that this is real. And I think that that's very, that's very honestly, it's very rare. Uh, I think you're the first person I've ever had on <laughs> say that say that, and and but but I agree with it wholeheartedly. It's just like us. We we could sign on with a major label if we wanted to. But we would much rather be independent with ourselves and do it our way, how we believe is the right way. And there may be a little less money in it, but at least we get to be honest and we're not influenced by what other people want us to say or do. And I think it's very noble of you. And and I, I, you know, my hat's off to you on that, sir, because I think we need more people like you in that regard.
1: Well, th- th- thank you, and uh, I, I, I certainly don't consider it to be noble, but thank you for your kind words. Uh, we, you know, as I said, we we were one of the first, very first people in the grass-fed beef business, and we've we've had a number of and a, and a number of the people who started in that era when I started sold out to big meat companies. Right, and it's fine. I mean, they're they're, they're good people, but they, they just the economics was such that. Uh, the meat company was willing to pay them more than they thought they could make running it, and they made the personal decision that to sell, and they did, and they're, and they're still being operated under those names, and and it's fine. We had many opportunities to do the same thing, hmm. but did, we just didn't want to. Right. I mean, we, we I, di- I didn't want to sell the business. You know, I, I inherited the business from my dad, granddad, great granddad. I had children who wanted to come back into the business. Right. And when we looked at uh, what the business should look like, uh, we, we didn't want a business that was so big we had to hire a professional CEO to run it for us. Right. We, we sell about $25 million worth of product a year, and that pays our bills and makes a living for us and 170 other people. And uh, we, we couldn't run a business much bigger than that. Right. I mean, that's just that that, that, that takes care of, uh, that, that fully taxes our business acumen to, to do the things we need. We can't go to a 50 million, 75 million, 100 million dollar business. We're not capable of running it. We don't want to hire a CEO to run it for us. We don't want to sell it to somebody else to run. So this is where we want to be. Yeah, that also fits in with our philosophy of a local food production. You know, we, we want to feed. I, I told you we ship beef to 48 states. Grateful for the business. I really rather sell it from Atlanta to Orlando. That's, I'm right in the middle of that little circle down here in South Georgia. Currently, it's not. That's not an option. I think that if fake. Or fa- falsely labeled grass-fed beef was not an issue, and as, as more people figure out the benefits of truly pastured uh, meat, and uh, then it, it it I could sell everything very locally.
2: Well, I I don't disagree at all. I, I've had I've had your products. It's amazing. It, it really it really is. I know it sounds very cliche to say, but it is a very obvious difference (laughs) when you do eat uh, actually grass-fed American beef. It really really is quite astonishing how different it is and how much better it is so the call to action here so people know how to support especially those of you in the south we're here in south carolina i was born and raised in mississippi i'm a southern southern to my core here uh not necessarily a georgia fan no disrespect sir but uh you know love love the south love the sec whiteoatpastures.com slash graham will take you to the website and where you can see the amazing products all Offered. sir to circle back one more time when they order from white oak pastures and that package ends up at their door what can people know about that food that just showed up at their door
1: I think that what I want them to know is that it was meat products came from animals who were treated humanely on land that was managed in a very re- regenerative way in a community that is a, on the economic uh or, or, or continual economic improvement you know, from from being one of the poorest counties in the nation to being less less and less poor. That's one thing I want to mention, if it's okay. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Going I'm going to shamelessly uh, publicize here, but uh, I was approached a year and a half ago by Random House Penguin, the, the book publishing company.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, and they they paid me to write a book about white oak pastures, and I did. And uh, it is be called a bold return to giving a damn. Wow, and, <laughs> I love that. I, mean, I, I, I do too, and uh, I, I love it because it is. And uh, but it's going to be uh, out October the 10th, and uh, you can order it on our website and all the all the big book companies are, are carrying it. But I hope that uh, if if your audience is interested in this kind of farming, this kind of food production, look into buying a copy of it and see if they like it.
2: Absolutely. I think that's a great I think that's a great way to 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 end this first of hopefully many discussions because this is something that I've become very passionate about as well. I don't trust, uh, I, and I know this isn't necessarily y'all's philosophy, but I don't trust what the FDA tells me. I trust what farmers tell me. And I trust what people actually on the ground tell me to do and, and tell me what's really going on. And so I encourage the audience to go to whiteoakpastures.com slash gram. You can check out the amazing food products. You can also get Mr. Will's book. Uh, you also have all kinds of amazing things. You guys make your own uh, condiments, your own butter, your own all kinds of stuff. It, it actually is quite impressive. And uh, Mr. Will, thank you for coming on and giving us a brief overview of the story. I'm sure this will not be the last time that we have you on the show. I thank you so much, A, for what you're doing, uh, because it's a very rare thing. And I know that you don't think it's noble, but I absolutely think it's noble because I'm surrounded by people that will run over everybody to make a buck. And it is, it is quite refreshing to know that there are still some of us out there that are willing to try to do the right thing uh, instead of just making the most money. Um, And then, two, I thank you for spreading uh, the knowledge that you have to the American people so they actually know what's going on. So God bless you, sir. I appreciate you. Uh, com slash Graham. Go support this American company. Go support real American workers, farmers, ranchers. Go and support... The real American dream, which is what they're doing uh, in a very small town in Georgia, which is absolutely incredible. Thank you, Mr. Will. I appreciate you very much, sir, for your time. Thank you for having me on today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That's all we have for this episode of Dear America. We hope you enjoyed it. And again, make sure to go to whiteoatpastures.com slash Graham. We'll see you all again next time.